It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 340. I don't even know at this point. 344 will be my guess, and I might be wrong later. Of Locked On Raptors for uh, Tuesday, May 6th, or June 5th. What the hell? I'm looking at the calendar all wrong. This is off to a rollicking start. Uh, I am, of course, your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. Please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. Most of those podcasts are in draft mode right now, so if there's a team you're interested in hearing about and what they're going to do for the draft, find the corresponding show. And if you like a host, subscribe, rate, review to that podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell you get your podcasts, and it's very helpful. And if you do that with Locked On Raptors on iTunes, uh, again, five stars, a little comment. It, it goes a long way. It's very good for the algorithms and for making me feel like uh, people are listening so please do that and uh thanks in advance for taking the time the very little amount of time and a free amount of time that it takes um a free amount of time i don't know we're off to a weird start here either way please comment rate review all that stuff on itunes as i've asked you a million times and let's get into this damn thing uh before i continue to dig myself a hole that i can't get out of uh we're joined today by our pal vivek jacob how's it going man darkness is upon me sean what happened what happened well, been trying to move on from the Raptors. Thought Novak Djokovic could get going. He is continuing to look a shadow of his former self. Mm. All the World Cup hype is just a constant reminder that my Netherlands aren't in the tournament this year. Mm. The NBA season is two games away from ending. It sure is. And it hasn't been like... I mean, the game one was good, but other than that, it's just like a sad finals mostly. So... I see why you're, why this has been the the prevailing sentiment from you so far. Well, you're a Netherlands fan. Yeah, man. Well, it's what's just... the origin? What's the reasoning behind that? Um. So my mom's worked for KLM for like the past twenty years. So when I was a little kid, she always bring like Dutch stuff for me, like okay, 
team Dutch team stuff, and I guess that's how I got attached. And right on, the soccer and fandom yeah. in this country is super weird because everyone's from all over the damn place. And then like there's national teams, and then there's club teams. Like I'm a Spurs fan because like 2006 FIFA, like you could only do career mode with four star or worse teams to start and like Tottenham was like the best of the four star teams and they had Paul Stalteri. Uh so I was like, all right, I guess I'll uh, be a Spurs fan now. Yeah, soccer fan I'm super weird. I don't know. It's uh I used to like the Dutch teams. Like the ones that made the one that made the final in twenty ten was really fun and then they got kinda bad and funny. So um yeah. I, I, it's it's not the worst choice, but yeah, not in the what's who are you going for now that the Dutch are not in the World Cup? Um I guess part of me, you know, I guess growing up, like, soccer is, isn't is quite soccer without Brazil being at the top of their game. Right. So I kind of want to see them back at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this could be a big World Cup for Neymar and uh, the rest of them. But, yeah, so I'm excited to see them back in the group. I think they'll have a really good World Cup. I'm expecting them to make, you know, at least the semis. Um, you know... Spain, I guess it would be a nice way for Iniesta to go out mm. uh, if they can get it. Mm. Germany, I kind of want someone to end Germany. Um, just yeah, they're too robotically so... good. They're yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like so, the Warriors almost. You know, like, get out of here with that shit. I don't if if some weird things happen, I'm I'm honestly I'm kind of more rooting for just to see certain matchups than I am rooting for one particular team to win it. Mm-hmm. Like you know if. A couple of weird things happen, then Portugal could could play Argentina in the quarters, and you know, then you get Messi versus Ronaldo in a World Cup, which would just be insane. Yeah, pretty um, bonkers. Yeah, so I'm I'm rooting for more of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, just it's going to be an extremely neutral viewing of the World Cup for me this time around. That's the best way to do it, man. Having any sort of like hopes tied up in a team, like I. I guess root for England by default because apparently, I don't know, that's what I decided when I was a kid. And, like, Wales, when they're in, is, like, my team because, like, most of my family's from Wales directly. So, like, they're not in. It was a bummer when they lost in the semis in Euro, and it was so awesome. And then they lost, and I was like, why do I do this to myself? Like, I don't even have to be a fan of this team. I just do it. And then England's just, like, signing myself up for more pain. So, um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I want to see Argentina. I want Messi to win one. I really feel bad that he lost that final uh, four years ago. And I'm doing like a fantasy league where I'm drafting like four teams each with seven of my other friends. Um, so I guess I'll be rooting for the teams to end up with that th- in that thing. But um, right. So that'll be fun. But yeah, the World Cup it rules. Uh, I'm very excited for it, and it will I think sort of help ease the. Uh, Ease the loss of the Raptors, which still I think some people are getting over. I'm over it. I'm fine. I'm cool. It's all good. But I'm sure mm-hmm. the people need a distraction, and that could be a very good one. Either way, we have Raptors stuff to talk about today that is in the World Cup. Um, yes, we should do that, considering sh- it's a Raptors podcast. We should do that. And the Raptors have been without a coach for, like, I don't know, three and a half weeks now, something like that. And there's been very little in the way of news, and I haven't really touched on the news very much because, look, I'm going to admit – I would love to be a basketball knower who knows everything about coaches, but guess what? I don't know shit about coaching candidates, and honestly, I feel like if you gave most people a lie detector test, they'd probably tell you they don't know shit either, because coaches are really hard to evaluate. Even coaches who we think are good 
can be sort of perceived as bad based on you know poor circumstances or like a bad team or a, or a certain player being on the team like David Blatt might not be as bad a coach as we think he is because of what happened in Cleveland um, but he might never get another job at the NBA because things ended so terribly there uh, and just because of the situation he was put into and like even Dwayne Casey for example like it was never quite clear, cut and dry, that he was a very good coach until pretty recently. Um, you know, he wasn't so good with the with the Wolves, but that was not a very good situation because it was the Wolves in the late 2000s. Um, and then the Raptors, like, started pretty well, and they built something nice here, but there are always questions. And, like, it's just, I don't think anyone really has a handle except for, like, a few people on who was actually a good coach. And um, so for me to go and, like, talk about all these guys the Raptors are rumored to be interviewing, I think it would be pretty disingenuous of me, but... There is some news, and it's uh, news that the Raptors are taking their search worldwide. And apparently, they have interviewed Zalgiris, head coach, uh, and former NBA player, former Lithuanian national, Sarunas Jasikevicius, uh, which is uh, going to be a chore if he ends up getting hired, just just having to type that out multiple times in a post every time you write about the Raptors. But um, I don't know, thoughts on the Raptors expanding their horizons, and like, do you have any takes about uh, Jasikevicius that you would like to share with the listeners? Um, no crazy takes on Yaskevich's, just because I'm not going to pretend that I've been paying attention to him or anything like that. Uh, he hasn't been so his name hasn't been floating around. His name hasn't been on the radar. Um, so I'm not going to make any judgments based on the two or three minute YouTube clips I've seen since uh, Woj tweeted um, that he interviewed with the Raptors. Uh, my big takeaway is obviously that you know at least now we have a status update on where the Raptors are that they're mm-hmm. still looking at candidates um, as opposed to maybe just sort of finalizing a decision uh, it had sort of been a little quiet since the Messina report so mm-hmm. uh, it's nice to know where they stand now uh, as far as Yaskafishis is concerned you know he's a former point guard so I think that's something I always pay attention to with uh, guys that transition from being a point guard to being a coach and um, all the reports out there uh, indicate that he's a master tactician and um, is very passionate and is able to you know demand a strong work ethic and hard play from his uh, players will that translate over to the NBA with the Raptors uh, that's something that you have to wonder so Obviously, he's someone that's going to have to prove himself to Kyle and Damar. So if he's as brilliant tactically as the reports seem to indicate, then hopefully that's something that uh, they'll buy into with time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so uh, you know that's pretty much all I can go off of. Um, haven't seen too much else of him coaching-wise. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the most informative thing of this whole thing is that the Raptors... Of all the candidates, I believe none of them are former NBA head coaches. The ones that we've heard. I think there's, what, six guys that have been thrown out. I guess Bud was the only one. Um, yeah. I guess, yes, Kevich's is like the seventh name that we've heard then. And Bud is the only one that was a, a sort of an NBA retread. And I think it's probably good that that's kind of the route the Raptors are going is sort of looking for new ideas and looking for people who haven't quite gotten to that uh, that level yet and we haven't seen on that level because I think our, our friend of the show Cooper Smither from Raptors Republic pointed this out and it's like to get rid of Dwayne Casey you're getting rid of a very good coach who has a high ceiling and the only way to improve upon that ceiling in a landscape in which most of the other retread coaches are probably worse coaches than Casey 
is to just try to find someone new who has sort of an untapped potential that we haven't really seen before. And there's risk to that, of course. And, you know, maybe you're getting someone who's not quite as good as as Casey. He can't quite, you know, maintain and hold the room the way Casey could or whatever. But I I totally agree that the best way to sort of maximize what you're going to get from a coach is to try to get someone new and get someone with some fresh ideas. And I think that can come from within, whether it's Nick Nurse or Stackhouse or Kalamian, um, definitely from outside as well with Messina or Udoka or Yasikevichis or whoever else it's going to be. I just, uh, I'm encouraged that they're looking at people who are maybe off the beaten path a little bit because, like, I can think of no worse hell than uh, a report saying the Raptors are zoning in on Stan Van Gundy to be their head coach. Like, we've seen Stan Van Gundy. Yes, he's a good coach. He has his merits. But I think if you're trying to improve upon Dwayne Casey, who is an excellent coach, and we all will say this, and we've been proven that it's been proven that he is, you got to try to go with something that we haven't seen before and try to, uh, you know, tap at some upside. And, uh, yeah, again, you're, there's always risk in moving on from Dwayne Casey, but uh, I'm pretty encouraged by where this search seems to be going. And maybe by, like, the draft or something, we'll have some <laughs> hard, uh, concrete news on who the coach is going to be. Are you concerned about how long it's taking? Uh, no, not at all. I think the fact that they are taking their time with it just shows me that they're not looking for a quick fix. They're looking for someone that can take over the reins beyond this sort of Lowry to Rosen window. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's my biggest takeaway. You know, so with these, uh, with as you mentioned, all these guys that don't have uh, NBA head coaching experience, if they come in, they get you know this one two year uh, run with this core, and then worst comes to worst, you go ahead and try to rebuild with the young guys. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's sort of the landscape that. Uh, they've pro- they've probably gone through in their interviews and trying to figure out uh, what the long term direction of the franchise should be, and so that's encouraging to me. Uh, the one other takeaway for me is that you know the longer they do take with this decision, it's probably more likely that the Raptors are not going to trade into the draft just because I don't I don't see them. Um, sort of looking to bring in someone without having that input from a head coach. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, again, there's still so much time between now and the draft, what, three weeks or something like that. But uh, yeah. d- definitely, uh, if it doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks, that would make some sense. But at the same time, I mean, Masai's a good talent evaluator, and I'm sure whoever he takes, you know, he's not really in the, the mode of taking guys who will just slot into a system anyway. He's more of a drafted dude with long arms and who's fast and, like, see what happens. Um, so maybe that's a little bit more malleable when you don't know who the coach is going to be. But yeah, I think I have no problem with how long they're taking. Uh, take all the time you want. We've never seen Messiah hire a head coach before, and I would feel pretty uncomfortable if they rushed into it and didn't sort of yep. exhaust every single possible angle because that feels like a waste of an opportunity when you have all this time. Like they're, Most of their trade decisions are probably going to be something that happens after free agency when you can kind of see what teams are in need of. Um, because like a DeMar DeRozan, for example, if that's the route they're going to go down, which I don't think they will, but if that's what they're going to do, like that's the kind of guy who you trade after some team like the Lakers misses out on LeBron or Paul George or whoever, um, and he's kind of the the plan B or plan D for a lot of for a lot of teams. So um, yeah, the the draft we'll see. Maybe they trade, maybe they get a second round pick or something like that. Who knows? But um, yeah, I'm not too concerned about the time they're taking. Take all the time you want, Masai. It's uh, it's totally cool with me. Uh, yeah, there's no shot clock here. There's no yeah. rule that says you have to hire a coach within certain days of firing someone else. So just take your time and get it right. Absolutely.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Uh, all right, let's get into the main focus of today's show. And we're going to sort of do quick player reviews. We're going to continue these for both Norman Powell and CJ Miles. I thought it was smart to kind of put them both together. We can start with Miles, I guess, because Powell's probably a little bit more interesting. Uh, Miles, this is probably going to be quick. I don't think he's all that interesting to talk about as a season in review guy because he was kind of exactly what he was supposed to be. He came in, he shot a bunch of threes, uh, he was streaky, he had some times where he kind of saved the Raptors' asses, he was a great bench dad, and there were also some times where, you know, his streakiness was detrimental and he got he went on these sort of cold waves where he couldn't hit a three to save his life. And in the playoffs, he became a defensive liability, which maybe was the biggest surprise for me. I mean, having not watched C.J. Miles intently as I did this season before this year, um, I was maybe expecting a little bit more defensively from him. But at the same time, you know, he, I was never expecting him to be like a lockdown wing defender. But the fact, the extent to which he became just an obvious liability when he was on the court in that Cavs series. And again, most uh-huh. people are a liability against LeBron James, but... Um, that was a little surprising to me. What did you, like, overarching sort of takeaways from C.J. Miles' first season with the Raptors? So, I think the main thing I was looking for from him coming into this season was if he could improve um, his above-the-break three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. Because coming in, I think he established that he was someone that was an absolute sniper from the corners. And you look at the season, he shot... 45% from the right corner. He shot 53% from uh, the left corner, but then he shot just about 32, 33% above the break. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a team that's short on three-point gunners, uh, to have a guy that you're looking to be, you know, your second best at worst three-point shooter, um, the Raptors needed more from that front, I believe. And... Um, on, on the days where he got hot, like you said, he was super inconsistent. The days where he really got hot, then he'd get going from above the break as well. But oftentimes it was a lot of, you know, he'll make a couple from the corner, but then, you know, miss a bunch from uh, above the break. So yeah. um, didn't see that translate over what I hoped for anyway. Um, and as you said, the defense just progressively got worse, it seemed like, as the season went on. Obviously, he had life stuff happen during the season. You know, he had a baby, he was uh, caring for a child, and and then he had the dental procedure that cost him probably more time than he imagined himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so little things like that, you know, taking him away from the team um, probably factored into his inconsistency, but that's kind of been a trait of his over the last few seasons anyway. So um, if that changes next season, that's something... That would be a surprise. Uh, will I have an expectation that he'd be better from above the break next season? Not really. He's going to have to prove it to me. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, CJ's season was like just t- kind of fine, right? Like, I, the nice thing yeah. about CJ is like I, coming into the year, 
kind of felt like they were going to be relying on him a lot. Like he was obviously in the contention to be a starter. Um, it kind of felt like for a time there he was going to be the starting three, and then Norm took that over at the end of the training camp, and then obviously we know what happened with Norm, but um, and OG sort of rising up and just being the obvious fit there. But like it, he was just he was a nice luxury to have this season. Like he wasn't too like in the games where he was cold, it didn't really derail them all that much. It was bad for the bench units sort of offense, but he was also a good enough defender within that five man unit that that unit could you know withstand and kind of still be effective and positive even when they weren't scoring. And a lot of their worst offensive nights were the ones where CJ would go one of seven, two of eight, one of nine from three. Um, uh-huh. and sort of just kind of, he was really the best shooter in that group. Maybe you could argue Fred, but, um, without him shooting, you know, you had Pascal and Yak and DeLon who just weren't really guys that you could sort of ask to take a bunch of threes and sort of uphold the offense. Um, but again, like even on the games where he was poor, it didn't really matter all that much. and It didn't hurt the Raptors too much. It was just like a nice luxury to have, which I think, was a better outcome than what I was expecting at the start of the year, where I thought he was going to be playing like 28 minutes a game and being a you know a crunch time player and all these things. The fact that the Raptors roster around him kind of evolved to the point where that wasn't necessary, I think it was ultimately pretty good for the Raptors and also like pretty good for CJ. Like I I don't know if it would have been fair to put that kind of burden on him. Um, you know, obviously he played a bigger role with Indiana teams in the past. You know, was asked to play small forward or power forward a little bit when Paul George refused to do so. That was never really a thing the Raptors asked of him. There were a couple times where he, where they'd go small and play at the four and play him at the four just because of matchups. But I don't know. Was there was there anything that CJ left you wanting at the end of this season, or was it just kind of yeah, that was cool. He played 19 minutes a game. He got a bunch of threes up, and like he kind of just did what they needed him to do. Um, uh, I would just go back to that uh, about the break shooting. Yeah. Um, uh, that was probably a disappointment for me. Yeah. Um. I guess part of that is in relation to just what the Raptors need. And so maybe they needed more out of him than what he's just frankly accomplished throughout, uh, well, ever since he's sort of developed his three-point shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, in terms of what the Raptors need, uh, Van Vliet probably gave them more uh, from above the break uh, than Miles did, if I'm being completely honest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Kyle, too. So... Uh, that's an aspect I think he just needs to focus on and his, his game off the bounce, you know, when teams, you know, we saw during that Washington series where he talked about, you know, guys just sort of living in his Jersey and um, just him finding other ways to be effective on the offensive end. Now, you know, when he's able to attract that much attention and open up space for another guy, that's great. Um, But when the play leads directly to him, he's still got to be able to find a way to make something happen off the bounce. And in fairness to him, I thought he kind of showed in the playoffs a little bit that his off-the-bounce chops were just, like, so much better than, say, you know, for example, Patrick Patterson or Damari Carroll in, the, in years past. Like, even though they weren't, you know, he wasn't, you, could, you couldn't really count on him to be, like, a third ball handler, but when it came to him, he could drive. He could throw down a dunk or two. His dunks were some of the more surprising and fun moments of the season. He had a couple pretty big ones. He dunked on oh, Patrick Pat- Patterson Pat- in that Thunder game. Oh, my God. It was mwah, perfect. Um, but, yeah, like, his off-the-bounce game was pretty nice. He had this, like, odd, weird bit of chemistry with Jakob Pertle in the pick-and-roll where he'd always seem to find him for dunks. That was a bizarre little connection that kind of developed over the course of the season. Um, so, like, even though it wasn't, 
you know, totally, I guess, what the Raptors would need or what people wanted to see from him. It was still, like, so much better than what the Raptors have been used to from similar sort of role players in the past. And it's why I'm just, like, kind of happy he's on the team. He's only making $8 million bucks a year. Um, he, like, going forward, two more years left on his deal. I think the last season's a player option, so we'll see what happens with that. But, um, I don't know. What What are your sort of thoughts about CJ being on the team next season? Like, are you fine with it? Is he a guy that, if you're looking to duck the tax, is he one that you're sort of looking to offload just because it's sort of a less monumental decision than maybe moving on from, say, Norm or Jonas? Um, like, where are you at with CJ's future with the club? Like, do you think he should be back next season? I think he should be back next season, I think mainly just because uh, the Raptors are so bereft of the three-point shooting on their roster. Yeah. Um, as you've mentioned, Masai's MO in drafts has been to get guys with length and athleticism and um, not necessarily three-point shooting. Um, so I think that makes him all the more vital for this team going forward, especially with this current core. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah I'm completely fine with him staying on the team at the end of the day the inconsistencies that we've complained about the above the break shooting and things like that I mean that's kind of what you get with a guy that's making 8 million so um, yeah for his contract he's worth the money I would like to see him come back next season and try to trump his 12.23s attempted per 36 minutes a truly remarkable number, considering his next highest uh, career total there was nine and a half a couple seasons ago with the Pacers. Um, sure. I think that actually came down. I think for like a time it was at like fourteen. Like at the start of the season, he would just come in every time the ball touched his hands, he was getting one up, and like that's what the Raptors needed, man. They needed someone to just not be afraid to take threes because how many guys have they had in the past who were just afraid to take threes? Um, And, like, maybe you can expect a little bit bit of a bounce back from his three-point shooting next season. I mean, last year, 2016-17 was kind of an outlier for him where he shot 41% on eight attempts per 36. Um, You know, this season kind of more in line with what he's been since he became a bit of a three-point shooter in, you know, 2013 or so. Um, but yeah, maybe if they sort of craft the offense to have him in the corners more often, ask him to make, you know, take fewer above the break threes, who knows? Um, maybe that can kind of help tick that percentage back up a little bit, but yeah, CJ is a nice guy to have. I I, I wouldn't like try to offload him just to offload the money. I think he's useful. Um, that said, like if it comes down to a decision between like, we can either keep CJ or trade CJ and sign Fred, I think I'd probably lean towards Fred, but I don't think that'll really be the decision they have to make. But in that instance, like that's the only way I would say like, yeah, get rid of CJ. Um, he's nice to have it also. His struggles became much more tolerable because he's just like a really good dude. He just seems like an awesome guy to have around the team, and he's fun to talk to, and he's very easy to talk to, and is kind of the best quote after losses for a lot of uh, for a lot of games throughout the season. Like he, he's just like affable guy. It's nice to have him around. Yeah, that's probably the, one of the underrated aspects of the season he had with the Raptors, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the young guys have talked about uh, him being the, the bench dad and just being there for those guys and showing that veteran experience and OG's talked a ton about how you know CJ's been the one that's constantly constantly been in his year to keep shooting the ball mm-hmm. and you know especially early on you know OG starting out um there were times where he was hesitant to shoot the three and so for him to say you know CJ's the one that's kept on harping on me shooting the ball as soon as I'm open you know not hesitating all those little things matter you know, especially when you hear from a sharpshooter like CJ, mm-hmm. when he's telling you, you know, go ahead and shoot the ball, even if I'm on the court or whatever, you know, those little things help. 
when you're especially when you're a rookie. Absolutely. Um, we can probably transition from CJ now and get into uh, everyone's favorite topic of conversation, Norman Powell. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. <sighs> norm, 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 norm. You got the GoDaddy thing this year. That was a big step. Uh, he was the starter coming into the season. Everyone was very excited. And then things did not go particularly well for Norm Powell. 70 games played. Uh, he started how many? started just 18. A lot of those came just in the start of the season. 5.5 points a game, 1.7 boards, 1.3 assists. Almost a full turnover a game as well. Um, shot just 40% from the field, 28.5% from three. Career low there for him as well on a career high attempts per game. Just... Uh, a rough season for Norm all around. I usually start this with like what the good stuff was, but we could probably let's save that for later. Let's get to where it went wrong for Norm. Yeah, I mean, just off the bat, I think the one trait of his game all season that stood out was just him trying to do too much, right? Whether mm-hmm. it was off off the dribble, you know, taking shots that uh, off the catch and shoot that he didn't really need to take. Um, just a guy that maybe got a contract offer, um, got re-signed and was thinking, hey, now I've, this is the expectation that I have to live up to. Um, I think that may have been a factor. Um, obviously, I can't say for sure. But, you know, little things like that, I think, factored into what he did this season. And who knows, maybe in retrospect, uh, spending a summer working out with Russell Westbrook maybe it wasn't the best thing in terms of that mentality. <laughs> uh, yeah, there um, were certainly some Russ aspects to his game this season. Less, so, less talented, but... Uh, yeah, so he's, he's just... I mean, he's just got to get away from that one-track mind when he drives and, you know, just sort of let the game come to him. He seemed to do that, you know, his past two seasons where there were no real expectations, where there were guys ahead of him in the rotation right from the get-go where he could just come in and say, okay, my job is to play defense. I'm going to play defense. And then whatever I add on the offensive end is a bonus. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe coming in as a starter alongside Lowry and DeRozan, um, maybe he felt that need. It was like, hey, okay, this is my chance to show that, you know, I belong with these guys. I fit in with these guys. Um, you know, and, you know, oftentimes in that Milwaukee series, he looked like uh, the third guy. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's the mold that he was trying to fit into early on. He got a bit of, it has to be said, he got a bit of an unfair shake 
um, getting booted from the starting lineup after what was it, twelve games because yeah. of an injury, yeah, uh, and never getting back in. I mean, you look at you look at the leeway that uh, Demari Carroll had in his time, and especially with Norm breathing down his neck. Um, I do think that was a bit unfair, um, but at the same time, no complaints about what OG was able to do once he was given the position. So, yeah, just a tough season for Norm. Um, maybe now, again, having something to chase where he most likely won't be the starter because OG seems to have made that spot his. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe, again, now having something to chase and knowing uh, that he'll be part of the bench unit will give him a little more oomph. That'd be nice. It's so hard to sort of pin down exactly the reasoning for why Norm struggles when he does. Like, I feel like you can kind of play like whack-a-mole with the explanations about it because, you know, the first couple seasons it was, oh, he doesn't really have a regular role, blah, 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 blah. Like, he's just kind of getting thrown into these games. And, like, there's some truth to that, of course. And it was so weird in his second season where most of the year he was actually kind of not that great. He was pretty disappointing. You know, I was excited about what what he did in the playoffs and stuff like that but you know for the most part in games that he didn't start because remember he started a lot of those games where Damari Carroll uh, would sit on the second of back to back um yeah yeah sorry so last year it was it was you know all or nothing right it was either he starts when Damar is sitting out those back-to-backs and whatnot and averages 15 a game (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah well, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, he averaged, like, 15 a game in the starts, in the 18 starts that he had last year, and it was great. Um, he fit really nicely into it. And then off the bench, it was just kind of a sporadic role here and there. The Raptors' second unit, if I recall, wasn't quite as sort of strictly built as it was this season. They weren't really doing hockey changes. Um, and he still played 76 minutes, 76 games, averaged 18 minutes a game. Like, he was not quite the unplayable disaster that he was for much of this season. And then this year comes around, he starts for the first 12 games, and it just never really clicks for him. He's doing too much. He's trying uh, to make things happen that aren't there. And maybe some of that's just, like, the chemistry that wasn't there had not yet to be developed between, like, Lowry and and Ibaka and and Powell. Like, it's just, it was a tough sort of situation to be thrown into, but he was not good as a starter in a situation where he'd been pretty good in the past. And, you know, you think about his first season, a lot of his best moments were when he just kind of came in out of nowhere and, and didn't start. And he started, he started 24 games in his rookie year. That's crazy. That I don't remember that at all. But, um, yeah, it, just, it seems like it's been all, all over the place as to sort of the conditions under which Norm succeeds. And this season, there were pretty much no conditions. And it was probably the most unfair of the three years he's had in terms of role and sort of opportunity because, you know, there were a lot of those times at the end of the second quarter, if things weren't working, Dwayne would go, all right, let's try out Norm. Go out there, Norm, see what happens, buddy. And if it didn't work, yeah, he would, you know, his night would be over, right? And he'd probably try to do yeah. too much in those two minutes. Um, but at the same time, he didn't really earn it, man. Like his, he, yeah. again, the... You know, nearly a full turnover for every assist and the just the constant need to drive headlong and try to finish lefty and not really have any other moves outside of that. It just kind of telegraphed every single drive to the rim for him. And it just, I don't know, it just never really came together. Three-point shooting just fell off the map, right? Yeah, and that was always kind of a concern with him, right? Because there was never a huge sample from him at college. Um, or it was always a, it was a big sample that he wasn't very good in at college, and then he comes out in his first season, shoots forty percent on two attempts a game, and everyone's like, oh, maybe this is a thing. And then you know the playoffs last year, despite not shooting well all year, he comes out, he hits like five threes, and this like hits his first five threes of the series when he starts playing, 
And it's like, oh, maybe he's a shooter. Um, but, like, maybe he just isn't a shooter. And that was always going to be the sort of limiting factor on him as a, like, coming in out of the draft. And that's what people kind of looked at and were like, I don't know about this guy. Like, he can't really shoot at all. He's got athleticism and stuff. But he fell to the second round for a reason. And maybe he's just going to be a 32% three-point shooter. And that's just what he is. Um, I don't know. Do you say ways in which Norm can improve? Or I guess let's let's start with, like, were there anything, was there anything good about Norm's season that you can kind of take away from, from the last... 70 games of just sort of disappointing results for him so i felt like towards the end of the season um he did try to develop more of a floater game Mm -hmm. where he had those moves where he was getting into the paint and then he was pulling up for the floater as opposed to trying to finish through traffic in that rushed mode that we see so often Mm -hmm. so I thought that was a bit encouraging if he can continue to work on that, add the floater, maybe even, you know, just add something where he's able to pull up off the screen and take that mid-range too. Um, I think just adding more variety to his attack will ease things up for him long-term getting to the rim. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I think you, you, you touched on him finishing with the left, and I think he just has a weird way of going up to finish at the rim mm-hmm. where he loses that balance and then he just ends up throwing it up. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that, you know, someone's got to coach him that or just go go through drills with him where he gets the right balance on those finishes with the left hand, with the right, um, and even just, you know, spinning it off the glass better. Um, <laughs> yeah, touch so, has never really been his forte, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And maybe so, you never learn that. I don't know. Maybe that's just going to always be a thing with him. But I think there have been enough glimpses of good norm to sort of think there's some value to be mined there. Um, also, I thought his defense this season was pretty good. And even in games where his offense was not there at all, like he would give it his all on defense and it would provide, you know, pretty decent, you know, on ball defense against point guards or, or wing players or whatever. Like it's so hard to go back and re- recollect, like if he had like standout defensive games. But. Like, it felt like in games where his offense was just doing the norm thing, like, he would still not get dejected. He'd get back, he'd defend, he'd, you know, poke balls free, get deflections, stuff like that. Um, And that was never really a thing you had to worry about with him. And that's kind of why I think going forward, like, there's still reason to be optimistic about norm and be, you know... Maybe his $10 million a year is going to be a problem. Maybe the Raptors would happily get rid of that deal if they could right now. But we've seen, and I've touched on this note a few times over the last couple of weeks with these with these reviews, but like wings are important. <laughs> like Wings are so yep. important in the NBA right now. And if you have one who has some semblance of skill and ability to sort of be a, a multi-positional defender, he can defend two one ones twos and threes for sure he's defended bigger guys at the four as well when asked to you know it's not something you want all the time but um like for 10 million bucks a year i still think there's a a world there's an outcome in which norm becomes a a player who is worth very much what he's getting paid and and maybe can become a bit of a bargain if he kind of capitalizes on all the good stuff and maybe this is just like toronto fan optimism but I do think there's some reason to still sort of believe that Norm can kind of turn it around. It was a really crappy season. He was clearly in his head for pretty much the entire time. Maybe a summer away just to kind of relax. Maybe, you know, there's a shakeup in the second unit. Maybe DeLon Wright gets traded or something like that. Um, and that opens up a spot in that second unit to slide in. Maybe that's all he needs, like a, a defined role. 
Um, like, I don't think he's going to be the starter next year unless DeMar gets traded or anything or something crazy like that. But maybe there's a more obvious role once we see the dust settle after this summer and he can kind of slide into that and sort of get back to what we sort of used to know Norm could do. I don't know. Where are you, though? What's your optimism level for Norm as we head into now the years where he's actually getting paid real money? Yeah, I would be reluctant to give up on him because of this season. I still think there's a good player in there. And, you know, for all the struggles that he had this past season, it was never due to a lack of effort. Yeah. Um, That's the one thing, you know, you will always get from Norm. And, you know, I I thought it was encouraging that, you know, throughout the season he stayed he kept his head up he you know any time he was interviewed he was always saying that you know he's gonna figure this out he's there was that focus and determination to try and figure it out you know so i think that was encouraging it's just a matter of you know either using this past season as an incentive and using it as a spark to motivate you for next season or just completely forgetting about it and remembering who you were for the two years before that Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, whatever works better for him um, to get up, back on track by all means let him go ahead and do his thing uh, but I very much believe there's uh, a good player still in Norm um, as you said the physical attributes that he has um, you know he's got that strong base that we've seen him use defensively to create effect he's got the long arms he's almost got a 7 foot wingspan um, that's so useful in today's NBA uh, so there's, there's just too much there um, to say that this is it. This is what he's going to be for the rest of his career. Um, but that's in, that being said, you know, uh, if there's a deal that makes the team better, then there's something that you have to consider, right? Yeah, and like even if it's just like a neutral deal, right? Like where it's you get the money off, we don't have to attach anything. Like I don't think he's enough of a problem where you have to attach something to get rid of his deal. I think that would be pretty ill-advised. But yeah, um, like if you can get off that deal scot-free and just kind of you know just wash wash your hands with it, I I would think about it. But again, I, I think it's worth kind of seeing this. You paid him for a reason, and I don't think anyone was too upset with the contract when they signed it because like. He was pretty good and kind of saved their asses in two consecutive playoffs. Like, that could not be understated. And there were a lot of reasons to give him that extension. And so, yeah, I think it's worth sort of, you know, waiting to see what happens with him and sort of maybe giving another year to sort of marinate and see what happens. And if you have to offload it after next year and you're you're concerned about what sort of his status is as a player going forward, maybe you revisit that in the summer where it was always going to be the pivot point anyway. But um, I wouldn't be, like just running to get rid of him right now. I don't think it's that much of a problem. And like I said, wings are important and having wings on hand, you know, with some ability to defend is always going to be a valuable thing to have. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Gut feeling. What do you think is the likelihood he is back on the team next year with no inside information or anything like that? Just like if you had to handicap it, what do you think are the odds he's back with the Raptors? Um, I think there's a pretty good chance he's back on the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, this might sound weird to say, but there might actually be a better chance that he's back on the Raptors than Fred VanVleet. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be a decision between those two. I mentioned the Miles thing, but it could be a decision between those two. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, if I'm choosing between those two, I'm taking Fred. Um, but at the same time, you know, based on the offers, if he gets like a full restricted offer. 
that's going to be tough to match if you don't have another deal in place. And, you know, then do you make a deal just for the sake of making a deal to keep Fred? I don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, because point guard, frankly, is your deepest position, so. But I don't think that's like, yeah. I don't think that's like an excuse to just like not be deep at point guard still. Like Fred being on this team with Delon and Kyle was very important to the success of the team this year. So I think like there's a lot of incentive to keep him and. I talked about this on last year, last week's uh, Van Vliet review pod, but like, I, I think it's pretty likely that he comes back just because I don't really see a team out there that makes sense to sign him to a deal in a, the weird cap climate that it is, and a lot of the worst teams either don't need a point guard or probably you know are sitting there you know, like maybe the Magic do it, but uh, there's a whole litany of reasons why these teams won't do it. Like I don't think Weltman would do that to the Raptors, for example, and. You know, the Nets already have Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell. And I, I, I'm not going to rehash what I talked about last week, but um, the, the number of teams out there who could likely give Fred, you know, a full RFA deal, pretty slim. And I think all those teams are going to have bigger fish to fry than getting a really good backup point guard on their team. Um, so, like, I would say I, I agree. It's probably more likely that it's if it's between the two, I would say Norm more likely than Fred. But I think the most likely outcome is both are back, and they either just pay the tax or find another way to sort of cut salary, whether it's Jonas or Serge. Um, but yeah, it's 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 That's tough. Fair. Norm throws a wrench into everything because of that deal and because he was so bad this season. Like it's a it's not an easy question for the Raptors to have to answer, right? And there's lots of sort of ramifications of you know, do you opt to offload a Serge and attach an asset, or do you keep Norm and try to you know pawn off on a team for nothing? Like it's. It's not easy. It's really hard. Um, but that's why yeah. they're paid well, so, to be So here's GMs, a question for you. Yeah. Um, just theoretically speaking, would you rather have three capable point guards or the added depth at the wing positions where you've traditionally been very weak? That's a good question. Um, I think in the context of this team, normally I would say like wings all day, but in the context of this team where... <laughs> Like, you have DeMar, you have Miles, and, and like, OG features as, like, a pretty perfect modern wing, considering his defensive abilities going forward, and, like, Pascal, who knows what he's going to be able to play. making the other pieces fit. Yeah, exactly. And I think just the way that the three-point guards worked this year, like, it'd be pretty hard to walk away from that if you're the Raptors. And, you know, if you get rid of Fred, what kind of impact does that have on Kyle and his health and your ability to sort of maintain him the way you did this season so successfully, where he was really good in the playoffs until the last game against the Cavs, where I think he kind of checked out. Um, but, like, I don't know if you get the same fresh late-season Kyle if you only have one reliable backup point guard on the team. And maybe you go find another one. Maybe you find another Fred Van Vliet. But it's pretty hard to find those, and maybe you trust your ability to do it. But um, I don't know. It, it's, it's such an impossible question. And it, we... It's so hard to answer because we have no idea what their thinking is in relation to the tax. And it could be like MLSE could be very much on board with just saying like, yeah, pay the tax. Fuck it. Who cares? Pay it. Um, but we, we don't know. We have no idea what's going on in those yeah. board meetings. And it's that's, uh, that's where I wonder how much the sweep hurts. Right. Yeah. So say you went six, seven games and you really went toe to toe with the Cavs. Yeah. Then you could almost you could see the MLSE saying, hey. This team is right there. Let's bring it all back. Let's try to give another crack at it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just the, this is a, just the first year of uh, the offensive change. So, but now to to lose the way they did, 
that's where I start to wonder, you know, now is MLS saying, why are we paying, you know, almost potentially paying 45 to 50 million at the point guard position, you know? Yeah. But then you have to look at the context of the East and what's LeBron going to do? And is the East more open next season? Blah, 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 blah. And sort of looking ahead to like they won 59 games this year when they weren't really supposed to. And if you bring it back, there's a case that they could do it again. Like all the young guys in theory, unless they go the way of norm should be better next season and should be a better supporting cast. And like you could very well find yourself in the same position. You found yourself at the start of this playoffs where you're a very high seed, maybe the number one seed, depending on what happens with Boston and Philly. And you're looking at it and saying, Hey, like there's a path here for us and this could work out. And maybe, you know, it all comes crashing down next year in the same fashion. But if LeBron's not around, then the calculus is different when you're trying to, you know, map out a way to the finals. So, I don't know. I think there are arguments on both sides for just saying, screw it, biting the bullet and paying the tax. Like, you don't have to worry about going to the repeater a couple of years from now because you avoided avoided it this season. Um, it's it's all very hard away. But, hey, this is why uh, Masai and company are paid lots of money to do this stuff. Um, we're just a humble podcast, but we, I think this is a pretty good podcast, Vivek. We, uh, we c- touched on a lot man. of stuff today. Um, do you have anything you want to plug before we wrap this thing up? I will have a season review on Jonas Valanciunas going up tomorrow for Raptors Republic. Right on. So look out for that. Besides that, um, things are going to be a little light on my end. Uh, just sort of counting down to some vacation time. So Hell yeah. Um, you're going to be probably hosting the podcast while I'm away in July if anything crazy goes down. So that'll be fun. Yep. So you could get your vacation in before that, I suppose. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you can listen to all the player reviews we've done. Sorry there was no episode on Monday. I'm probably going to be doing trivia this weekend. Um, so stay tuned for that. In fact, you're still in that tournament, right? You're still alive? I believe so. I didn't yeah. know the tournament was still alive. Yeah, well, the playoffs <laughs> happened. Playoffs happened, and it got really busy, and I just forgot to do it. No yeah. one was available. No, so sure. uh, I think this weekend, probably going to re- try to record the Elite Eight. So stay tuned for that, everybody. It's going to be fun. Um, Vivek will be featured, I believe, against somebody. TBD, I can't remember. Either way, uh, it'll be fun. Stay tuned for that. Follow me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Please subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. It's the best way to support the show. Uh, It's free to do. It takes like two seconds. Uh, Please do it. It's very helpful, and it makes me feel good. We're closing in on 100 ratings right now uh, in reviews, which is uh, very very humbling that people have decided to take their time. So, um, thanks in advance if you uh, are going to join the, the group and try to get to 100, and if you become number 100 maybe i'll give you a prize or something i don't know we'll see um that that's a good tease by me but um uh <laughs> that's gonna do it for today's show thank you so much we'll be back again tomorrow uh still working on what i'm gonna do tomorrow maybe we'll have a guest of some sort but uh stay tuned and we will talk to you next time on locked on raptors wilson you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. 
you made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 